Hello and welcome to Lay Film, where a couple of film grad friends come to hang out with some special guests. We talk about movies that we see in the hopes that it will encourage you or a wider audience to see said movies. And today we have a very special guest, and that guest is... Holly. And of course, joining us with Holly is myself, uh, Patrick, and my co-hosts... Kevin. Tyler. Richie. And yeah, it's good to have the whole crew together with a guest. Yeah. And uh, we're talking about a special movie. I think. Absolutely special movie. Very special. May have cracked my top 10 off mm-hmm. first first watch. Off watching it yeah. an hour ago. Tyler, every episode is about how I know. <laughs> a new movie is cracking your top 10. Or like, it's your favorite of all time. That's what you guys do. You guys put me on these good movies. <laughs> that, mo- that movie is uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And that movie was picked this week by Holly. And so, uh, Holly, mm-hmm. do you want to go in the details about why you chose this movie? Um, genuinely, I, I, it, I had a hard time picking something. I wanted to pick something that, um, I guess, struck a nerve. And this movie really did. Um, I remember you had showed me it months ago. And it was the first movie I think I had watched in a long time that really made me, like, sob. I don't usually, I mean, I'll tear up at movies, but this movie really, I don't know, it really hit deep. I don't know why, but I thought it would be a really special movie to talk about with everyone. And, well, uh, uh, I, I thank you for picking this movie. <laughs> I feel like um, we, just behind the scenes, like, uh, during, over the course of, like, this podcast, this movie has come up time and time again for uh, one of the ones that we could potentially discuss. And it just so happens that, you know, uh, your first time on the show is like us actually finally talking about this movie. (laughs) Right. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super hyped. I'm super hyped to talk about this one. And I agree with you, Holly. Um, I don't normally cry during movies either, and I feel like I'm getting better at it. My uh, toxic masculinity is slowly... uh, fading away <laughs> like the last few movies i've watched i've like cried so hard and especially especially this one yeah what's, what's funny too is abby came in like halfway like she got home halfway through watching it and i was almost like damn like i, I need to watch this alone right now <laughs> i want to really get a good cry <laughs> No, but then she just watched it, watched the rest of it with me, and we cried together. <laughs> Aww. Um, yeah, I can't wait to talk about this movie with you, Holly. Um, I just have to say that uh, boys don't cry. Only men do. Only men do. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't, I don't think I cried at this one. I was, I was kind of like a bittersweet happy at the end. same um i this movie is really special to me just because it was the last movie i saw in theaters before covid start or before covid hit and i remember i like i it was during a time where i just got like a new job 
And because for the past five years leading up to that, I would always get off work like at such random hours, like usually towards nighttime around like 8 or 9 p.m. And with this new job, I had like a brand new schedule where I went in earlier and got off in like the late afternoon. And I think this movie came out around March of 2020, I think. Uh, or like, no, February, February or March. So like when I was still new to it. And then I got off work, it was like at four o'clock. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to go see a movie. And then I went and uh, to the tower and I caught this movie and there was literally like four other people in the audience. And which is like how I prefer to watch movies because <laughs> I can't stand sitting next to people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it was amazing just being able to take in this entire movie because like I even even prior to uh, hearing about this movie, I saw some of Celine Sciamma's uh, other films, uh, Water Lilies, uh, Boy or uh, No Tomboy, and um, I haven't seen Girlhood yet, but that's definitely on my list. And uh, with Water Lilies, I just happened to come across that movie on Criterion Channel, uh, just scrolling through stuff, and it. She she as like a storyteller has like a really unique way of dealing with uh, transitions in people's lives of uh, like self-discovery. And, you know, it can be a little bit cliche at times, like in the wrong hands. But with her, it feels like very uh, it almost feels like distanced, but close at the same time. And it was interesting seeing um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, after those previous ones because with this one it was like a whole other feel within a whole other time period and but dealing with similar concepts and yeah it's a very special movie to me yeah i think i remember i think we had seen as a group uh i was at either high life or climax i think that's where i first saw the trailer for this I remember making the mental note of like, oh, this is a unique movie. This is a one I got to put on the back burner. I think I did the same with Moonlight when I first saw Moonlight's trailer when I was watching uh, Birth of a Nation, I think, way back when, like early in my film program history. Mm -hmm. And this just really touched a nerve, like, oh, this is going to be a good one. And then again, I like, like you, Kevin, I saw this right before things closed. I don't think I've been back to the theaters yet. I'm scraping my mind right now, trying to remember, and I'm not. And uh, yeah, it's like one of the greatest snubs in recent Oscars history, too, I think. What won Best Picture uh, over this? I Is think maybe Parasite? Green Book. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Green Book or Parasite? This didn't even get a nomination, if I'm correct. I think this. I thought it did. I th maybe, maybe not. I thought this got snubbed when I think uh, what was that other movie, Little Women. Mm. Oh. Because I remember drawing like this kind of parallel because the era was like vaguely similar, like Victorian drama, and everyone was calling for a Little Woman, which I haven't seen, so I can't really yeah. attest to it if it's good or not. It didn't even get nominated. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. 
What did it? Did it win at Cannes? Maybe can. did better on the smaller scenes. Yay. <laughs> did that come through? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna turn myself down. Well, um. I love the uh, the look of this movie. Like, I feel like I've never seen anything so clear and colorful. I heard they shot it in 8K. Which is, uh, I don't know how, how crazy that gets when it comes to cameras, but... Yeah, just every scene looked like a painting. Like, all those ocean... Oceanside shots and all the warm lighting. It was like, it was just so pretty looking. Yeah, how do you all feel, um, feel about, uh, the visuals themselves when it comes to the subject matter that was portrayed in it? Like with the, the paintings and, um, like just sort of this like painterly quality to it all. Do you feel like that influenced the visuals or, um, I don't know what 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 are all of your takes on that? It kind of made me interested in painting itself. A lot of the shots were like in the perspective of the artist, and I really appreciated that. Um, it really feels like we're uh, in the eyes of the artist when they are trying to give their perspective of this subject that they are painting and it made me think like man i kind of wished i tried an art class or a painting class because they make it look so effortless and um yeah they it's so well crafted i think that they do a really great job of um like really showing us without like any exposition of like what's going on. And I like that, yeah, a lot of the film is through a person's eyes or even like their expressions on their face, like a, a lot of acting with their eyes. Yeah, I like, uh, for me, the one, anytime I think about the, the cinematography of the film i think i think of that one shot towards the end but not at the end but is that great it's like the shot of the movie for me with the ocean and a certain character in front of it that always comes to my mind and then uh, i'm gonna steal from kaylee and probably misquote her but i remember i think it was i, I want to say this portrait of Lady on fire but i remember her excitedly talking about the uh how the film is playing with the the concept of like male gaze, but it's a female protagonist. It's a female director, but it's a lesbian director, if I'm correct. So there's still, there's like a sexual energy in the gaze of the camera, the director or the character that we can infer as well as the, uh, is it a Luis or Eloise? Eloise. Yeah, Eloise. 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 Yeah. Yeah. 
as well as Eloise constantly like making eye contact to the camera in certain scenes or just to uh, the protagonist where it, the film is very poignant on uh, the gaze and the sensuality of the gaze and the voyeurism of the gaze. It's like, yeah, it's an intimate thing to paint someone. What do you think, Tyler? Um, yeah, I, I, I saw that too, just like kind of after like just looking at the film a little bit, like right after watching it, um, people saying that, that like it is kind of like a almost, I guess, a female gaze if, if it's made by female director, um, movie set with all females. You know, there's pretty much no male presence in this movie at all. I Right? I mean, there is a few male actors, but, like, even towards the end, like, this isn't really a spoiler, but, like, when they show, like, the one male actor, it almost feels, like, uh, like, weird, I don't know, like, intrusive or something. I don't know, like, the guy shouldn't be there. Um, so, I don't know, I feel like it's weird for me to comment on this as, like, a male talking about, like, a female gaze. Um, but, like, that is part I think of the reason why I enjoyed this movie because there definitely is it just feels different like especially from the perspective of this painter who is you know tr gazing on her to because she has to literally paint her through memory is her job at the start which is uh I don't know it's just a really unique perspective And I want to just give like a brief summary of this movie. Um, that way, like for anyone who's interested in checking it out, that way they can uh, just get like a little bit of a taste of what it's about. And according to a summary, it says on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. And to add on to that, um, the woman in question is set up in an arranged marriage and is very combative towards that notion to the point where she is refusing to be painted because once she does, it's almost like a, a giving in to that fate. And so the rest of the movie is uh, the painter and as, as well as the subject, as well as some other characters in there, um, trying to navigate this uh reluctant path towards fate um i was pretty like wary i would say like the first like five minutes of me just judging the book by the movie by its cover you know i guess or first impression but yeah once um once that dynamic came into play because it comes into play pretty quickly of where you find out you know she has to walk with this girl to then you know get like a good look at her face and her her look to paint her to where i was just like immediately drawn in i was like oh yeah i know, I know this is gonna this is going to unravel into something crazy. 
Even though it's not really crazy at all, it's actually, you know, nothing. There's a few scenes that I really want to talk about. Uh, one in specific. Uh, I do want to mention that, uh, Patrick, earlier you said that the um, director, Celine uh, Shama, is a lesbian. And um, she used to be in a relationship with um, the actress Adele, Anel, before they filmed this movie. And I thought that was very intriguing that even though they parted ways, that they still did this film together. And I think it's particularly interesting because a lot of the film is in the perspective of Marianne. And it almost, now that I know that fact, it almost feels like it's the director trying to paint this portrait of a person she used to love in a way. So. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, I thought that was a little tidbit I wanted to add there. Yeah, I feel like um, you bring up a really good point with that because like, I, I feel like in a way the actress is the director's muse and she has been for quite some time because she was even in her first feature, Water Lilies, as one of the main characters. And you can just tell that like there's just this huge sense of adoration towards this individual and I felt conflicted about that during my second run through of the movie. Um, and I'm excited to like talk about that a little bit more later on. But um, I don't know, like this movie itself has such a unique commentary on the artist and the muse or, uh, or uh, artist and subject or inspiration versus the actual uh, creation of the piece. And I don't know, it's it's almost to a fault at some times, but also, like I said, I feel very ambivalent about it because it captures it in such a unique way. And I don't know, what are what are all of your thoughts on that? Holly, I want to hear from Holly. Um, well, this has nothing to do with what Kevin just asked, but this was something I wanted to mention. Uh, this being a French film, the actual title of the film in French is um, a portrait of the Lady on Fire. But in English, it's a portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I think that just like, she's like the lady. She's not just any lady that this woman painted a portrait of. I don't know. I think that makes a big difference to me. She's like the one that like got away, I feel like. No, no spoilers, but... <laughs> <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Um. Yeah, I like that. That's a little different. Um, Americanization. Right. It's not the love, it's a love. And it highlights how we can modify the individual, the replaceable. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Um, Holly, what what is your response to the um, the artist and the artist's muse? Like, well, did you know about the relationship between the director and the actress? No, I had, I had no clue. But you know, after you did say that, I totally see that she probably did 
kind of film it out of her own perspective. She's in love with the person and, you know, it was a piece of art, I guess, in a sense. Um, and she used her feelings with this woman and uh, made art out of it. Yeah, I think it's I think layered. There's a lot of overlap between the two central characters as well as the, to me, the outside creation of a film or art in the film, cinematography, as well as uh, everyday relationships where you create idealized versions of people that you interact with or you have relationships with and they're constantly at contrast where this is like the film itself could be her capturing their love that ended but it's like still cap it's still that preserved forever in time like the painting in the film and all that represents for the characters or it happened but the important thing is it happened or it existed um i don't know if you all have seen that film called uh, the tango lesson but i tyler i believe you've watched it because i think we watched that together in a film class and I think it's similar. Be yeah, you know, about the the woman who is trying to take um, dance lessons from oh. her instructor. Yeah. And that film is also about how she, the director used to date the, you know, the subject or like the subject that she's making the film about. And it is also like a commentary on the, you know, the the male gaze because she's the one who's gazing at him you know he's the i guess the exotic one because he's the you know the sexy dance instructor you know um but yeah i thought i thought that was interesting comparison because yeah they they also used to have a relationship and now they're making a movie about their relationship <laughs> yeah that's an interesting um i guess like revolution now that like i'm just thinking of certain shots like of like the first shot when you see eloise i feel like that's uh um i don't know just like that i feel like that's like that shot has a that could have had a lot of uh influence from the director i mean obviously but um i don't know like she just like the way she turns around like she's like you know like she looks pretty like it's like a nice backdrop and like it seems like I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but I don't know. It's like if that's the first shot that you're showing of like your person that you may still be in love with, like I get it because it's like I don't know. It seems like the perfect shot, and it's like yes, this is the person that I'm basing this whole movie off because I'm I, in love with them. I would say the introduction to Eloise was was very strong. Like it came off incredibly romantic and natural. That uh it gave off a very great first impression of her because it was very mysterious and elusive and you're just wondering like who is this person you know like who who's the person behind the the veil so to speak and um, and when you finally uncover it it's like it was worth the that moment Yeah, uh, one movie that I keep like uh, looking back on, and it's funny because I'll, I'll probably like go off on like another movie in a sec, but um, 
Uh, when it comes to voyeurism, I remember uh, my first exposure to it was, or at least being at the forefront of like the discussion when it comes to about like art and stuff, is a uh, Vertigo, um, and it was in like my media aesthetics class, and it was just like a whole. It was probably like two to three class discussion of on the movie itself and how voyeurism is like a key aspect to it, and. After like being exposed to that, it like made me like disgusted with the way it just does. I mean, with the I mean, just with the gaze itself, the gaze of the camera, um, and how it can objectify people and allow people to project like their own fantasies onto them. And this can even and this even like goes way beyond cinema and goes into any form of like art or interpersonal communication, anything like that. And um, anyways, it got me thinking about that movie once again. And another movie it made me think about was a movie I saw recently uh, back on Halloween, which was Last Night in Soho. And uh, it's so strange seeing uh, those three movies, or including Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like these three movies uh, in tandem with how the camera handles the subject. Um, and one thing that I found myself praising uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire about was how it reverses the role onto the observer so the perceiver becomes the perceived and I didn't quite get that feeling from Last Night in Soho or Vertigo or any other movies that tackle the same or have the same technique implemented into them like Rear Window comes into play um, but yeah just during the second playthrough of it uh I found myself really enjoying that aspect of it. And uh, the first one, I just, my first run through of it in the theater, I was just so immersed in the story itself as well as the the overall experience of it. So getting to uh, watch it the second time allowed me to like delve more into it. And I don't know, like there's some other aspects to it that I really appreciate, but I just want to, uh, ask how do you all or what do you all think about like that reversal that is done in the movie um, like how does it impact your experience of it for me I think it took the for me I think it took the negative connotations of like voyeurism or the the gaze away from the main character and kind of from us, the audience. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of how to explain this. It creates like the illusion that it's, uh, it's a progressive familiarity, progressive, like the, the relationship builds slow, but the gaze is from the start and that I feel like that presence there helps build that like oh we're in the process of objectifying or reducing to the individual that we're staring at or looking at but it makes a point to show that maybe the same is happening with the character Eloise to the main character pr protagonist it shows like a mutual exchange and that that mutual exchange brief or long is like the foundation of relationships their relationship in the movie 
makes the the relationship feel real and it makes you maybe as a guy it makes it yeah. feel like you're, you're not just watching like a like like when tyler said his wife came in the door <laughs> i'm watch i'm watching a lesbian movie i need to be alone <laughs> 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 like no it's it's clearly not one of those movies it's, yeah <laughs> I, yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of how to articulate this i know it's tough to articulate too i was trying to think of a word like but I agree with you. Like, it's just, uh, it makes it feel, I don't know. It just feels different. Like, I don't know how to articulate it. You have to watch it. Uh, it feels, and I it, think like it makes it, yeah, it, it feels real. Like they're wearing like, you know, they're wearing like huge, like dresses and like, you know, like they're like, like you may be gazing on like the ear or something rather than like down, like some thighs or something or like cleavage, I guess. Um, which you would see in, you know, many other movies. Because they would, like, she would talk about that, you know? She would observe her her ear, or uh, she would, like, look at her hands, her arms, or, like, where they're placed, or even her neck. Yeah. Her reactions to stuff. Like when she's lying, I forget what the line is, but she does something with her mouth, or she crinkles her nose. Yeah, she, like, touches her forehead when she lies, and then she's like, oh, yeah, you, uh you know, bite your lip when you're embarrassed or that scene, especially I, I love that scene. That was a very, uh, heartwarming scene. Um, Holly, what, what is your take on that? whole? Um, I was, I was actually, I was going to talk about that, that scene Tyler was just talking about. Am I allowed to say that yet? Or is that like a spoiler? I don't want to, I think it's fine. Okay. Um, yeah, during that scene when uh, Eloise, she's posing, the shot is really wide and exposed. She's kind of laid out there for uh, Marianne. And uh, she's being told by Marianne about all the little small habits she's noticed. And then it switches, like the, the script switches. And now Eloise is exposing all of the little habits she knows about Marianne and the whole um, shot switches again. Like on Marianne, it's wide and exposed again. I don't know. I thought that was really cool how they did that. I want to touch on something or like a phrase that Pat said um, about how it feels familiar, but also progressive at the same time. Uh, that's yet another thing that I came to really appreciate about this movie is how it takes the, you know, the familiar Victorian uh, period piece and creates like a sense of warmth from the very beginning. And um, it kind of bookends the movie itself in terms of uh, how it shows male characters uh, like in that time period. And it. I just love the way it bookends it because it starts off with all of these all of these men in a boat and they're all like facing or yeah they're all facing away from Marianne as she's traveling to the island of Brittany uh, to paint this portrait of Eloise and uh, of course you have the the main like the leader of the of this little rowboat facing towards Marianne and then all of a sudden her canvas and paint supplies like go overboard 
nobody else like decide even even like cares and then she just decides to jump out of the boat and go after it and then all of a sudden we cut to her dripping wet inside of the the boat again but this time everybody is faced away from her and she's facing away from them so it's all back to back and it's like it's from the very start I just love how it's toying with conventions of uh, basically being like, oh, here's a typical period piece uh, where we yeah, this looks familiar, but we're straying away from that now. And then right when she lands on the island, you have the, the I think he's like one of the few uh, speaking male characters in the movie. And she asks him where to go and he's like up the hill, uh, just go to the trees. And then he just leaves, doesn't even help her out or anything. Uh, and then she just like trudges up the steepy rocky pathway up like a cliffside to get to where she needs to be and then from that point on it feels like a veil of uh, of like a hidden world inside of this time period that we're so used to seeing in all these movies that portray this period and I absolutely love that and I think that where this movie truly shines is in some of the quieter moments where it's not focused on the painting and it's not focused on uh, Marianne having to paint from memory and catching like little glimpses of of Eloise. I feel like it really. I don't know, I just love the feel of the world itself because I haven't really experienced that with any other movie and so once again, to going back to what Pat was saying about this, this familiar sense that is with the movie, but also hard to put like a, a word on how it tra transcends that limitation. Um, it creates like a whole other genre in my in my mind. Or at least a new take on the on the genre. Yeah, I want to touch on the hidden world and uh my favorite thing this film does, uh, if I'm correct, is the sound or, or the music is diegetic, I want to say. Or it feels like off my memory, I only remember three scenes with music. And on all those scenes, it was diegetic. And then, yeah, like with the the hidden world stuff, like we're seeing this Victorian experience from the female perspective of even females of the separate classes with the Sophia the maid and her strife and the neighbor women that has the scene it's like a hidden world and then for uh Eli eloise the music itself is a hidden world that they bond over and then like the film is very withholding of music to like simulate like the i don't know it just gives like a magical feeling when the music does come in like yeah a few times it does where it's like oh hold on i think too with the like the two scenes that we really have music i think both times it's used so perfectly and it was saved for the best moment yeah i think um the sound in general is one of the I feel like I just keep saying the same thing over again but like it's like it's yet another strong point of this movie even outside of the music in terms of uh the 
just the the soundscape that it presents to to the viewer um as an experience it, it feels like an asmr session like hearing the sound of like the fire crackling right. always in the background and along with even like the footsteps on like the stonework inside of the house or the manor or whatever it's called um to the waves lapping up against the shores and the wind like it, you could tell like what time of year it is just by hearing the sound of like the beach and <laughs> i don't know it, there's just so and there's like another keyword that was mentioned earlier about the word magic this movie is filled with so much magic and mysticism this movie has like a really great way of conveying a mood through the use of magic and all of these like quieter moments that long after the movie is over you can simply reflect on it and think of like a specific mood that it conjured up within the moments of uh, each of the characters so if you've ever yearned you will most likely like this movie so yeah check it out I like that. Magic's everywhere. We have we experience magic every day. And this film captures that, I think. Mm -hmm. And now uh, with that, let's go ahead and hop into our ratings. Who wants to go first? Who feels strongly enough to kick us off? I always go first. So I'm not yeah, okay. gonna go first. <laughs> oh. I thought you were in a volunteer, Tyler. No, because I always change my my score after you guys. This, this is why you should do it first. <laughs> so we get to see I'll, the change. I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Um, I am going to give this movie a 4.25 out of 5. Um, when I first saw it, it absolutely blew me away. And I loved seeing the progression of the story um, and how it changed a lot of the conventions that I thought I was going to see. And I don't know, the, the sound and a lot of the quieter moments that existed in the middle of the, of the story were what stood out to me the most. And during the second run through, I think I actually changed my rating a little bit more. Um, and I will go into that later. Um, I'll give it five out of five for sure. Um, I feel like after watching this movie, I was just hit with a huge wave of emotion. Like there's, a, there's a few scenes where like, literally I feel like, um, I don't know how to explain it. If you've ever had like a head rush from like standing up too fast and then, you know, your vision kind of blacks out a little bit. Not that I was blacking out, but like literally like or like you get goosebumps like i was getting like goosebumps in certain scenes in this and i don't know i just felt not a whole lot really goes on it just sticks with you and it's like so beautifully shot like just all the colors all just the setting of everything and you know the set design um yeah it's just like it was just gorgeous and it, the movie itself is like be beautifully like tragic 
and I just love that that mixture. So yeah, five out of five. For me, I will give this film a four out of five. Um, yeah, I had no idea what to expect when watching this film. I know that everyone here, like even our friends of the podcast, um, loved this film. And so I just never looked into like what the story was about. So I just went in cold. And with that being said, I really appreciated uh, like what Kevin said earlier, like just the, the quieter moments of the film. It almost felt like there wasn't really a score at times. I was just really <laughs> just listening to the silence between these two characters or when they're just observing or glancing at each other. Um, so those are the like kind of subtle performances that I really love that I, I feel like is very difficult to do and to portray and I think these two actresses um, did it really really well um, yeah Noemi uh, Merlin and Adele Anel, and even the I don't I don't think we even talked about this character at all um, Luana Bajarmi as Sophie as the sort of third wheel um, yeah I, I think all three of them did a really great job and yeah this is a beautiful and moving film and like what Tyler said sometimes not a lot is going on so sometimes um yeah that that uh the pacing can kind of mess with like my enjoyment of the film but I really do appreciate the emotional beats that uh the film hits you with so yeah that's my reading Um, I'm going to give this film a 4.4 out of 5. There's just so many scenes that really struck a nerve with me and I think are just burned into my mind forever. The ending especially. Um, there's a couple others. Um, but it just, it's, it's a beautiful tragedy. Um, I don't know, with a lot of, with a lot of films, I'm not the best at like putting myself in the protagonist shoes but I really did with this film and I don't know it just it meant a lot to me for some reason so that's my rating uh, it should be quick I give it a 5 out of 5 because of the ending uh, I think it does everything that a good film should do or it's, it's a really it's closest to like a perfect narrative or Basically, that's my feeling about the film is I greatly enjoyed it as well as the time it occupies or the place it occupies in history. Looking back, that was a, there's outside external factors around Hollywood at that time, as well as just the film industry. And uh, I think this film got written off a little bit too fast. I had seen someone say uh, that, uh, a French film about Victorian women as lovers isn't really groundbreaking in France, or I forget what it was. But then I, that same year, I remember the clamor about Little Women, which was again like probably made into a film between six to twelve times before that same year. But those are just my personal grievances that I attach to the film. Aside from that, it's an amazing film, and I can't wait to talk about the ending because that's what makes the film for me.
And with that being said, let's hop on in. C'est joyeux Ce n'est pas joyeux, mais c'est vivant. Ça raconte l'histoire d'un orage qui monte. des insectes qui le sentent. Et ça agite. Et la tempête qui éclate. Avec les éclairs et le vent. to go first what part number 28 oh i knew it as soon as i saw the book i love that i love i love little uh like i don't know tidbits that those are just like i feel like that's just like when you're making a sunday and you throw the cherry on top like that's just like nice little subtle everybody wants to see that And I feel like she probably did that for Marianne, hoping that she'd see it. You're referencing the, uh, is it the drawing the, of the her? Port, when, when she first, like, it's like the second end. I don't know. There's a couple endings, I guess, or like a couple, like two, three ending scenes, right? She's like, the first time I saw her for the first time again. Yeah. And the painting of her and her daughter. And she has her finger open to page 28 of uh, the book in her hand in the portrait. Yes. So, yeah, it's like a it's a one two punch, if I remember. That was my reaction. Because inside that page in uh, the protagonist book is uh, it's a portrait of her nude or is it just a portrait? Yeah, of it's a nude, portrait yeah. of yeah her nude that she drew that Marianne yeah. drew for Eloise. Yeah. Yeah, that's how people sent each other nudes back then. <laughs> so, but I love the one too of like oh it's the first time I saw her again and it's a painting you're like oh it's neat they never got to meet again but she saw the painting and then you see the kid and it's like yeah. ooh that hurts yeah. but then you see the page number you're like oh okay especially after even <laughs> with her with the kid <laughs> the roller like, coaster. hey, hey shawty get it get it shawty <laughs> I don't know though. Actually, now that I'm thinking about this, this might be kind of dark. But with the whole like Sophia dynamic, and you know, then you come to find out that she, that Eloise has a kid later on, like after you know the, all the events that take place. Is that almost like does that make it more sad? Do you think she wanted to have a kid? Do you think she want like? Ooh, that's a good. You point. know what I'm saying? Like, 
especially after like because then she's having a kid and then it brings up the memories that her and Marianne had together like helping Sophia with her whole situation which I think my favorite scene is probably either the ending scene or the scene where uh, I'd say like it's like the heaviest scene in the whole movie where like Sophia's you know getting an abortion and there's like the baby staring at her like consoling her as she is you know killing her own baby that was pretty that was intense yeah I took all that as them like uh, it's it's uh, not shying away from how gender structures were back then it was very patriarchal very much women as objects like a uh, Eloise had to have that child that we see towards the end of the movie in the painting because of her essentially arranged marriage yeah. for her mother to regain access to the social sphere of Milan where it's not, yeah, it's not about the love that was real between people, like between the two main characters, but back then women were more... Uh, treated as objects directly they were exchanged in marriages and uh yeah that's why i took away from those scenes i don't think sophia if she did or didn't want it she i don't think she could because of her status as a servant you can't be a servant with a illegitimate child i believe it may not look good upon the family yeah, I'm more so just saying, like, whether or, just or not the she wanted to have it. Just, yeah, just the weight of, like, the situation. Like, who knows? Yeah, she could have wanted to have the baby. And I oh, think yeah. just, like, the parallel of, like, the baby next to her, the random baby next to her with, like, you know, the situation yeah. that is happening at the same time. I just think that's, like, I don't know. <laughs> that seems like the worst thing that, you know, someone could ever go through. I feel like... um I have a different take on that entire scene. I I thought that that scene was like one of the most beautiful like that it hurts. So, Sophie is my favorite character of the movie. Um I think her entire storyline outshines everything else in this movie. Um of course it's like accentuated by the storyline between Marianne and Eloise, but it's how they convert like when they allow um or when they're kind of at like on the sideline uh, sidelines of the story i feel like they're at their best because and i feel like i'm constellating like everywhere right now like uh in terms of like plot points and everything um but i love the build-up between uh between eloise and marianne from the start it's like okay cool we get we get this and then they're obviously in love with each other. They're they're lovers from the very start. But it's like how they come together to help out this this friend of theirs. Like they're they're legitimately all friends. Like they don't view her as a servant, as like anyone who's beneath her. They view her as an equal. And that's a word that Eloise uses throughout the movie in terms of like equality and all of these. I don't know. It's like such a unique perspective from a character in that time period. It's so progressive in terms of that. And uh, how they 
converge together to without even like any sort of qualms or anything they just automatically get set right into motion with like okay uh first you gotta run you like so x amount of laps between the two of us and then from there we have to like look for this herb that we're gonna make into a tea as you're hanging from the rafters and it's like such a ritualistic thing that that marianne reveals that she's been through herself and it's like such this it's like this nurturing instinct that just kicks right in and this little microcosm that exists on this island amongst the community it's it's like there's hardly any any male presence at all and it just feels like such a a mythological like shrouded in like mist um of like this of this hidden society that like has all of these beautiful notions of what it means to care for one of, for one another and pass down generational knowledge from one point to the next, uh, even though they're surrounded by the gates of patriarchy in a way, because outside of that island, that's where patriarchy rules. But here on this little tiny island, you have all of these people coming together to... And it's even unspoken and even unwritten and it's just in the air itself of this community. And I feel like Sophie represents that to the highest degree in this movie. Like it transcends the individual story or the individuals of Eloise and um, and Marianne and focuses it all on the communal aspect of it through her storyline. And I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent right now, but I'm gonna bring it right back around to that scene where um, where Sophie is having the abortion and why I think it's beautiful. Um, it's because you have this elderly uh, this this elderly woman who has all of these like uh, traditions like passed down of like how to actually give an abortion to someone because it's so frowned upon during that time period. And she takes in Sophie and then she's surrounded by youth and she doesn't hide away what she's doing to the grandchildren or children or anything like that. She shows it at the forefront because it's like, this is important. We, this is how we do things. And it is important to carry on this tradition. And I love uh, the balance of truth and secrecy in that. And as Sophie is having the abortion while she's lying on the bed, like Tyler, you bring up uh, the, how the child is like playing with her, like, uh, and the child doesn't know anything that's going on. It's just being a kid. It's just being so in the present. And it's like, that's the harmony of it. It's like, there can be beauty in the grotesque or how we perceive grotesque to be grotesque when really it's just so primal. And the fact that all of these people are there to aid this person that cares so that they care so deeply about it's like that that is love right there and the fact that she's willing and able to realize that she isn't capable of caring for a child that is love as well for that unborn child and i found that to be so magical because even though like I mean, in the scene that follows uh, where 
Eloise wants to recreate that scene for Marianne to paint to pass down throughout history, like a hidden sketchbook or something. Who knows how they come across that image? But it's the the point is that it exists and that it's passed down. Yeah. You know? I, I also okay. really enjoyed that that tidbit of, or that part at the end too where uh, Eloise wants to like, you know, document and have Marianne paint that situation that they all just went through together, you know, because that's like a medium of art that's not really explored yet ever, you know, that we can't really see. You know, a lot of people have these go through that and, you know, sometimes you need some art to, uh, I don't know, maybe decompress or, you know, process the situation. And I don't know, I just thought it was a, yeah, you're right. It was like beautifully, it, be it like beautiful. I said that earlier, like beautifully tragic again. Like, I don't know, it's just a, yeah, it was an, it was an amazing scene. I think you bring up a really good point with um, how art is needed to process things like that, Tyler. I think um, to hop off of both of your points, about how, to, how it's like beautifully tragic. Um, I also saw that as something that is like daunting and a harrowing experience that Sophie has to go through. Um, and to also mention what you said earlier, Kevin, about how they see each other as equals. Um, I think that informs us from the director and even the actresses themselves that they, they are pretty vocal about their um, about their perspectives about being feminists and um, it really shows here in this film and, and in particular to that scene I thought that that was really um, like I guess painful and brave that she had to go through that especially considering like you know she's the youngest character that we follow in this film I mean, the actress herself was like 17 when she filmed this. And and I, I'm, it's not like explicitly talked about at all. It's I think it's very much implied. But I mean, being a, a servant, uh, you know, being that that's her job, like, I don't know, I believe that she probably was knocked up by someone or potentially raped. And I think that's really like you know that's really dark and the fact that she can't raise that child and you know she had to wait or like you know she had to tell them and and they so happen to be very supportive and try to get her help that was like really um yeah that must have been a very scary situation and i i think that uh yeah that that definitely informs us of, of the the artist's intention and perspective because i don't know if you guys know but the the actresses um and the director, Celine uh, Jama, they they stood in solidarity when Roman Polanski won an, an award at, at this film festival in 2020. And they all three of them stood up and even like, yeah, they, they like raised their fists in the air and, you know, like they were not for it because people like that were still getting away with these crimes. And even in the story of Portia of a Lady on Fire, like, you know, we never heard of any kind of justice or, you know, like this woman had to get an, this young woman had to get an abortion and, and that was that, you know, like it was incredibly tragic. 
know, that's a much darker take, but um, yeah, that that's definitely how I, I viewed it after seeing the film and looking it up. And um, yeah, Sophie's definitely up there for my favorite characters too, even though she doesn't have a lot of screen time, but I'm glad that that was incorporated into the story. Um. Yeah, but that ending scene though too. Ooh. I was just like, Holly, you mentioned something earlier about how uh, I forget what you said. I think you said something like you cared about the characters a lot, or like, um, I don't know. What I took from it was like, I don't know. I was just like, I feel like I used to do this a lot when I was younger watching movies that I would always like root for like the main character and I always wanted like them to like fall in love and everything to like mm -hmm. work out and like that's exactly <laughs> I was like just leave just run away together and then yeah at the I was end, thinking the same thing I knew it wasn't gonna end like that though because right. that's just but then at the end I did want to see I did I just wanted to see a glance like an exchange of looks between them at the end um, but it doesn't happen, and like she's just—it's just a beautiful shot of just that close-up of her listening to the song they bonded over, and and she's just sobbing, and it's—and then but then she's like smiling, sobbing. It's just—it's so good, so good. She goes from like sad to happy to yeah. It's just oh, it's makes you feel good. It makes you just feel it all. You just feel it all at the end. beautifully put yeah i really i really enjoyed just seeing how their relationship changed you know at the beginning marianne kind of had this facade up because she was there to paint her although eloise didn't know that they you could see there was a disconnect in the relationship they weren't really getting anywhere because marianne was it was a lie it wasn't she wasn't there to walk her she was there to paint her and that showed in her artwork and her sketches. You could just tell something was off. And, you know, the first portrait she created ended up being like lifeless. It didn't, it wasn't Eloise at all. It wasn't even, you know, the artist. You could tell it wasn't her best work. But, you know, as things became more honest and truthful between them, you could see that they were much more in sync and much more connected. And I think that's why the portrait at the end was so full of life and full of love because it was a real connection rather than a facade. That was really important to me. And then the looming tragedy that uh, her capturing her love on the... What was it called again? <laughs> Shit, my point's gone. Fuck. <laughs> But yeah, her capturing her love in the painting. The end goal of that is still just for her to be whisked away in the arranged marriage. Like the more they love each other and the more beautiful the painting grows from that love. It's just going to be mailed to her would-be husband in the future. And for him to voyeuristically go like, oh, this is her? 
Yes, bring her and her family out to Milan immediately. Like, uh, I remember always thinking about that as the painting was being created. Maybe I'm a pessimist, but I was like, oh, this is nice. Their relationship's growing. They're going to love the painting. It's going to be their love captured in the painting. But there was the looming sword of Tamocles about like, oh, but in the end, it's just like a, a picture to be sent to someone to approve of her beauty. I think that plays into the gaze aspect of the film or the voyeurism of the film. Yeah, because like even during the scenes where um, I think her throat is covered up um, and then Marianne asks her to remove it and a little bit more, a little bit, you know, and then to where she just completely takes it off and she's like, oh, I take it that you have like the, the viewer in mind. <laughs> and it's like such a unique commentary on that sort of thing too, especially with how you know, the audience's relationship with the content that they're engaging with. Um, I mean, we talk, I mean, I, like, I, I feel like I, I always have this urge to bring up Anno, like Hideaki Anno, because <laughs> like, he's like the only like modern day or contemporary artist that I know of that like directly critiques their audience um, and criticizes them for what it is that they want and i i think that uh celine shiyama takes like a really good stance on this by basically calling it out at the very forefront and discusses it in a very uh relaxing you know manner but you know it's just these two sitting uh you know Eloise is posing for the painting and Marianne is sitting there and they're just having like a, a, a conversation. And it's like during like uh, settings like that, it's just ripe for ideas to flow. And I feel like that's how you get people to um, broaden their perspective on issues as well as uh, question their own. Um, I have something else I wanted to bring up. Um, the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. Eurid um, I completely forgot about that in the plotline uh, up until, you know, the second viewing on this. And I really liked the how they brought that to the forefront. And it makes me think about the importance of myths in um, society and how they're passed down because there's such strong messages that get uh, ingrained into our, our societal DNA in a way when it comes to storytelling and like the lessons that we've learned in order to grow as like individuals. Um, and I just love that myth alone, 
like so much because like I remember when I first came across it um, and hearing about like this really uh, painful, tragic story that Orpheus goes through as a musician, um, you know, coming and finally like wedding the love of, of their life only for them to have such ill luck placed upon them on their wedding day for her to be bit by a poison snake and to be gone way too soon to the point that he's just so overcome by these painful emotions of like loss and suffering that he travels down into the underworld and ends up winning over every single person and creature that he comes across through the power of song and lyricism and poetry that eventually he's at the forefront of uh, the very epicenter of it, which is with Hades and Persephone making this case to have the love of his life be brought back to life. Um, and then eventually winning them over, obviously on the condition that um, on his way out, if he looks back, then she will be gone forever and will be and will die a second death. And I love that entire scene in the movie where all three of the main characters are are having this discussion on how uh, Orpheus handled uh, or <laughs> how he, you know, was ill fated to lose her again. And from the just from their discussions of like each of them had their own take on it where uh of course you have sophie like a very naive but also blunt perspective on being like oh well why did he do that he had no reason to do that he went all the way down there to make a case was granted the case and all he had to do was not look back like why did they do that and then you had um, Marianne kind of turn it a little bit more on its head where she's saying, oh, well, he took the poetic option um, to choose the memory of her rather than her actual physical being. And, and then I loved hearing Eloise's take on it where she was like, oh, well, what if she was the one that said turn around? Because it's like you see each of their... It's like a tiny sliver of their of their souls shining through that one tiny conversation in this in the entirety of the two hours and of course like that entire myth is like sprinkled throughout the movie itself and but it's during that moment that i feel like it really makes the case for what this movie is ultimately about it's about choosing the poetic option and it's about the subject choosing or the muse parting with the artist and taking control and walking towards their fate and being braver than the artist, you know, when it's time to let go. Damn, that's really well put. <laughs> yeah. I kind of forgot. I didn't for, but yeah, that's just this film is a I love the script nothing there's no filler like everything's directly intertwined uh like you said with the the Orpheus like the the calling out the turnaround at the end and the 
the parallel like the for me the famous scene is when uh Eloise is on the uh beach and it's that special shot with the waves and it's like her back to her oh yes that's where that like when you say like, oh it's it's sprinkled throughout the film i like that's the scene i always think of of like the the moment where she's like apologizing to her right yeah like it's all coming to the forefront and that's their little yeah. orpheus moment of like like well like does she like not reconcile with her and like their there's their time together was the time together is that the memory that's going to be left or do they embrace and pursue the relationship in the physical in the immediate in the the fleeting time aspect and yeah just the film's hyper aware of time and feminine femininity in time like the orpheus legend the uh capturing of the abortion and like a it's not uh, Da Vinci type, like cadaver recreation to be discovered by future generations. Like there's like an inherent optimism in the characters. The kind of coven-like nature of the scene with their, the, the portrait, the titles derived from is that they return mm-hmm. to the community of women on the island. And it's like a, again, one of the scenes with music. It's a beautiful build. They're there to help oh, their yeah. friend. And then, yeah, the for me, that was a scene or I'm not sure, but yeah, it's just, it's very poignant. Everything felt, everything fits to everything. It's such a tight script and story in film. Yeah, I feel like um, one of the ambivalent points that I had while watching this movie is to compare it to um weaving and embroidery like sophie and as well as eloise's sister um they took on the craft of embroidering which is to build on top of a canvas in a way uh with thread whereas with weaving like weaving a tapestry it's written into the actual piece itself rather than on top being a superficial form of artwork um i felt ambivalent about those two terms just like in in a feeling way um i felt like a lot of the story itself and a lot of the themes shined when it was weaving into the story um rather than embroidering it on top uh which i felt like celine did a bit when it when it came to the myth like i felt like she leaned a little bit too heavily on that at times to drive home the point of um the separation between uh, the artist and the subject. And, but although like I'm here, I mean, although that can be a point of criticism, I find myself thinking of all these other instances that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I feel like that can also be turned around to appreciation. So I feel so ambivalent about it because it's just creating this huge swirly mess of emotion within me. Like here I am thinking about like the picture of Dorian Gray and <laughs> with um, if, if any of you have like read that book or any of you want to read it, I highly recommend it. If you enjoyed this movie, definitely check that book out by Oscar Wilde. It's it's a it's a, a legend for a reason. Um, and I'm going to have like 
tiny bit spoilers with the book, um, just in terms of like characters from it. Uh, but from the very start, it starts off with Basil, who is a painter inside of the book, and he's painting the subject who is Dorian Gray, who is this very innocent, youthful being. And Basil ends up projecting all of these like ideals onto Dorian because he just paints him day in and day out. Like he's painted probably hundreds of portraits of this person who was his muse and sells them and like makes decent money and like it's his has a living off of this subject. But then one day he reaches like the peak of his profession by capturing so much of Dorian's beauty as in the prime of youth and the prime of innocence that it shines through and cuts Dorian to his core to where it creates like this 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 walk towards fate towards like a self-fulfilling prophecy and it has a very myth-like feel to it in the same vein as um, Orpheus and Eurydice and so it's like here I am thinking about the picture of Dorian Gray while watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire, while also thinking of that myth, the ancient myth from Metamorphoses. Like, it's so crazy. And I'm like, was it too on the nose? Or do I actually love it? And even right now, I, I still can't tell you how I feel about Well, I'm thinking like whether it was on the nose or not, um, if it was intentional, her references to those other texts, um, I think it really shows how uh, or her admiration for those stories and how they might have influenced her in writing this story. So like, yeah, maybe it's just about her admiration for that and how you know, she's created this like tragic, bittersweet love story. Yeah, I'd argue intentional or not, it still like highlights the secretness, of life, which yes. is like, a part of the film too. Even the fate. Oh. Yeah, it's like you see. Um, it's like you see Marianne and Eloise walking towards this doom, this impending doom of their relationship. And I mean, even the fact that like Marianne was first brought in to capture a portrait of Eloise so that she can be sent off to Milan for not even like personal reasons, like in terms of Eloise, like, is this what she wants? Like, no. Um, so she's she's like fighting against fate at like every turn that she can, whereas you have her mom, the, the countess, bringing in Marianne to help guide her towards this fate. But then once they finally like meet each other in the middle of recognizing what they're doing and what they're walking towards, you see Eloise sort of take the stance of being, of embodying that archetype of Eurydice in uh, what she was saying, well, oh, well, what if she was the one that said turn around? She wants to be the memory. She wants to be the imprint on this artist because that's as much as she can have 
in this flawed world of theirs. Like, uh, not flawed, but I should say imperfect. Imperfect world. Because, you know, there's always going to be limitations and boundaries to things that we can accomplish and, like, set out for in life. But, like, she knows that that is the extent to which she can exert the most amount of influence on this person who has changed her life. <laughs> and she kind of, like, embraces it and walks towards that fate. And... But it's kind of weird because you have Marianne who does the opposite. She wants to chase after the, the muse. She wants to chase after that because it, it's no longer about the art anymore. It's no longer about the poetry. It's about the it's about the bond. It's about the love that she feels for this person of recognizing the oneness in them and recognizing the complementary nature of the two and the equality between them and as like individuals and everything. And so she chases after this sentiment while Eloise kind of gets mad about that. She like, there's like a brilliant part in the movie where she's saying like, oh, I thought that you would be braver than this or something like that. And she's kind of like disappointed in Marianne for not being, for not living up to her uh, fantasy, you know, like she isn't playing the role of Orpheus and like this archetype that she's, you know, linking up to her own narrative. Like she wants to have control of her narrative as much as she can. And since Marianne isn't fulfilling her end of the bargain, she kind of like breaks away from her. But then it's like after that tension, there become there comes like a release and there becomes like ease and equilibrium once more to where they just enjoy the time that they have left together. And you could see that in the scene where they're uh, lying in bed with each other. And then Marianne finally does paint. You know, she becomes the subject once more uh, due to Eloise's insistence on wanting to turn it on, to turn that, uh, that uh, convention on its head. And I don't know, I think that that's such like a beautiful shift in dynamic and character growth. And, like, even outside of, like, just talking about movies, I think that that's such a beautiful way to grow um, with the aid of others, you know? Yeah, um, I agree with everything you just said. Um, yeah, that was really well put like I, I i can't yeah i can't uh <laughs> i can't articulate like that but that is just like i i 100 agree with you like i think it's just it's so cool to um it's cool and like happy and sad all at the same time just i don't know it's like these moments could happen in life and you never know like like you could be old and like about to die and be looking back on like these like whatever this like seven day trip of like painting somebody that like that could have been some of the best like best time of your life and i don't know i think that's just a uh it's a cool thing to think about like the human experience but then it's also like kind of sad at the same time because it's like you could be you could be living that moment like right now and you wouldn't even know it and you may not be taking you may be taking it for granted or you know 
Not even knowing that you're in it. Whereas I feel like here, like what you're saying, Kevin, like she, they know that they're in it and, you know, they do as much as they can to uh, leave like this lasting impact on each other, even though they know they're destined for no future together. But yeah, I freaking uh, really dig this movie. Super hyped. This happens all the time where, yeah, we, it's like Richie said earlier, I'm always uh, <laughs> dropping fives out of fives all the time now. <laughs> I'm that guy now. <laughs> but yeah, like as soon as I watched this, like I like texted like a few people I knew who had already watched it. And I was like, oh my God, wow. And then a few other people, I'm like, you need to go watch this. So yeah, I think there is... There's absolutely nothing wrong with being that person, Tyler. Like, if anything, own it. Like, that is a wonderful way to approach anything in life is to just like, because I feel like as we get older, it's so easy to become cynical. And like, like, even like right now, like whenever I watch stuff, I'm like, dang, like, am I being like conditioned slowly to like not appreciate things? as much as I used to anymore. And it's like, hold on to that. <laughs> like, hold on to that, Tyler. <laughs> right. We're going to watch uh, Avengers Endgame next week. And I'm going to give it a six <laughs> out of five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, Tyler. Keep giving out fives. Um, except you didn't give possession of five last time. So I'm holding on to that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really enjoyed that episode, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun one. Are, are you going to give us your mini review? Oh, on Possession? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I feel like, well, just like, this is like getting like into After Hours territory or After Dark territory. Um, I haven't been on the podcast in a in a while, probably since like September. And like, so here being able to like hear the episodes, it's like that I haven't been on. I'm like, okay, I'm getting like, I'm, I'm uh, making or I'm getting that thing that has been missing. <laughs> and um, yeah, Possession, that movie. Oh my God. <laughs> that absolutely blew my mind in terms of like in terms of just genre bending and creating like this really unique take on like s pushing the limits of sanity on screen and creating such like a visceral experience to where to me that's what cinema is all about you know it's because like with any form of like visual art with like painting or like um photography it's all like such a stationary uh perspective that you're looking at it from right whereas like with anything that involves like video and audio like sauna like uh stimuli it creates like an almost dreamlike experience but a waking dream you know and i feel like i'm being so on the nose with this stuff but it's like i, I i'm just coming at it from like a purely appreciative standpoint of like cinema as a whole and possession pushed me into like this whole other 
experience of what it feels like to be insane without actually being insane. At least I hope I'm not insane. Um, and it's because it's like a sentiment where um, I know, like in the past, like I've always like wondered, like, damn, like uh, with like mental illnesses, like, oh, is this what it feels like to like slowly be like losing your mind? But to like see it like play out on screen in terms of um, <laughs> of like all the characters like going through it, like even even with some of the side characters, they're just like off in their own loony world, you know, and it plays out in both like the visuals of the camera movement and oh God, for I, I hate like talking about like technical stuff when it comes to like movies, but like it like does this thing with the camera work where it creates like this fluid feel throughout the entire movie to where it like ebbs and flows and but on, but like at at like the furthest recesses of the mind it like can it like keeps up that motif you know and then even with like the the searing soundtrack and the really repugnant visuals it's like not it goes so far beyond um a horror movie because it deals with existential crises on screen to like the nth degree <laughs> and it like personifies it in such a brilliant way that you feel like you're right inside of their headspace um and i just absolutely adore that about that movie because i feel like i haven't really had that experience before up to that moment of seeing possession and it's it's ultimately just about uh, it, it isn't even about like the the alien or the demon creature that um that she spawns it's literally about the possession that we place on ourselves as long along with others in terms of like how we project onto them and how we can manipulate and mold them and it's like such a cautionary tale against that you know, because in the end, they finally got what they wanted. They, um, oh God, I feel, I'm not, I don't mean to spoil it for people who like have seen it or who haven't seen it yet and are wanting to, but it's like a cautionary tale about getting what it is that you want, you know, because the fantasy is meant to always be just that strictly a fantasy. And I feel like as I've gotten older, I, I tend to like, well, I, I realize that like, I do this thing of uh, maladaptive daydreaming, or I have a lot when I was younger, where I would just completely like, just be caught up in my own like little dream world of like creating like all these fake scenario scenarios and like all these like interactions, anything like that, in this little perfect world. And then when it comes time to deal with the real world, it there's like this strict, <laughs> there's this strict, um, place that exists between the two where it creates a disconnect and watching possession it like helped me to recognize that um to recognize the the consequences of doing that by you know because here you had like this this couple who have a kid together and it just wreaks havoc on everyone's lives that they come into contact with including the child, the poor child, like, especially with the fate that, that he has. And I don't know. I love that movie. Yeah. That movie but, is a five out of 
fucking five to me and will always be. It gets better with every single viewing and I absolutely adore that movie. So yeah, that's my mini review of it. <laughs> I wanted the tag on the maladaptive daydreaming. I live in that reality. I don't live in our reality. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, no! <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> but yeah, I know exactly what you're... Yeah, it's not good. I, I feel like I just called out a bunch of viewers as well. Like, whoever listens to this and... Oh god, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I maladaptive daydream too. Um... I'm not quite sure when it started, but I think living alone has gotten worse. Because there's no one here to like catch me doing it. Because I'll talk to myself as if I'm talking to someone else. I'm, there's no one else there. And so I, I look crazy. But thank God there's no one here to like see me doing that. Um, but I want to uh, touch on my thoughts about Possession. Uh, I watched it with Pat. And um, it, it does give you the feeling of you're losing your mind. And as someone who has like anxiety and depression and stuff it it does make you kind of go back into that mindset of oh my god am i losing my mind i don't know if anyone else on here or any of the listeners have anxiety but it's scary because it makes you feel like your mind is turning against you and i kind of got that feeling when i was watching possession i really like you know psychological horror movies or psychological horror games something about that is like I don't know, maybe because I have some sort of weird, deep connection to that, because I feel like there's things wrong with my own brain. Um, no, but it was, I thought Possession was amazing. It was definitely a 5 out of 5 for me, too. It was just, it was really unique. How it made you feel like you were kind of losing it along with the characters. Holly, I think you bring up an excellent point in terms of, like, what it feels like. Like, uh, I think when you said, um... Like, it feels like your mind is turning against you. And it's like, yeah. that's such a horrifying feeling. It's mm -hmm. like, it feels like almost like a betrayal. And then right. also, like, you're in, like, your most vulnerable state in your mind when it's happening. Mm -hmm. And it creates, like, such an isolating and alienating effect on, on whoever it is that's experiencing it. Like, sometimes, uh, like, in the past... I've had so much anxiety to where I had like tunnel vision, like legitimate tunnel vision where like the, the vision or the edges of my uh, vision would become like all blurred out and like start to get all fuzzy and stuff. And yeah, watching Possession, like it for anyone who is very sensitive to that stuff, go into it with with a bit of caution because like it can definitely like trigger a lot of uh heavy emotional responses like that especially with like um like i loved hearing tyler's thoughts on the subway scene <laughs> i mean i'm so, like i feel for you like having to experience <laughs> that tyler <laughs> but like i loved hearing about it because it's like it's such a unique reaction to it because it's like i was like is this really happening right now <laughs> exactly and and they, just they really the, recorded this? <laughs> yeah. And like hearing uh, Richie's, um, what what you said about like the behind, or I, I forget if it, if it was uh, you, Richie, or if it was uh, Tyler, um, who said that after that performance, she like needed like years to like recover from that incident. 
because it's like I, I can only imagine like what if somebody had like a history of that and then they're being told to recreate it on screen in front of millions to watch potentially and then because uh, I feel like it's so hard like once you've outgrown those sorts of things um, to have to face them again and the courage it takes to conjure up that headspace again it must be overwhelming <laughs> so overwhelming yeah, the, the director um, even confirmed that Isabel Johnny tried to commit suicide. Dur I think, I believe it was during the filming of it or even after, so. Oh my god. It was wow. very, um, yeah, it was very um, distressing times for her uh, going through that. And she was also dating the cinematographer too, so like, yeah, a lot of... Uh, a mixed it was a mixed bag for sure um filming um yeah even even sam neil said that was like the probably the most difficult um film he's ever had to do so and yeah. you know what uh wait what wait who's gonna <laughs> I, like oh, I, no, I, was, I was gonna say that um good thing it was abandoned a few places because they didn't have to deal with that for a time and now it's slowly popping back up so yeah. <laughs> as they're older <laughs> They're gonna hear more people talk about it. So. But you were saying? Oh, um, it reminds me of um, I mean, of course, like the one point in um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where it's like there's that constant choice between the poetic option or or the or the lover's choice. You know, like if we choose to take the option that promotes harmony and uh a state of like presentness or do we take the more poetic stance on things where it's sort of like a, a an from an observant standpoint uh very much distanced as well as nostalgic and bittersweet but also kind of self-indulgent in a way so i feel like because of the poetic decision to finish possession and to uh even like have uh, going back to this movie, uh, have um, Marianne finish the portrait a second time. Like, the first time wasn't enough. A second time. Just to indulge in that poeticness of it. It's like, I don't know, that's such... It brings up such a strange set of emotions within me when I think about that the balance between those two. Like, it's very much a double-edged sword because, like, of course, like, if you pick the lover's option, you get that person. You get, even outside of that person, you get that thing and you get to be present with it. Whereas, like, if you pick the, but you don't get the yearning, you don't get the, that sorrowfulness, you don't get that melancholy, bittersweetness of life um, with that choice. I mean, it might be, but not... I mean, you might get like twinges of it every now and then, but like not, it's not balanced, you know? Um, I don't know. I feel like it, balance is so important when it comes to that sort of stuff, because like I know as like, a, like I love making films and that's something that I always like am trying to think about when I'm making things with other people. It's like, okay, I don't want to push people too much because I don't want to ruin their experience with it, you know? Like... 
I want to create like the perfect or as as best as I can, uh, you know, the right balance between those two of something to look back on with uh, with a sense of um, happiness, but also yeah. being able to remain present with those people in that moment and appreciating it for what it is, you know, without souring it. Yeah, I was thinking that earlier, um, just like with the way their whole situation panned out and how like, it's like a memory that they cherish now. I was thinking of like, like, you know, there's always those stories of like the one that got away or like, you know, even like the end of this movie, how it's like the last time she saw her and that they didn't even get to say hi. It's almost like, what's a, what, what is more impactful? What's the better... Um, I guess outcome yeah like the lovers route like you're saying like sure yeah you could pick the lover and then have your lover and then um I don't know you guys could get like you take each other for granted get tired of each other blah 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 you're like together for so long that you almost lose that feeling of like um I don't know I guess maybe you need the melancholy and sometimes the sadness and all that too yeah it's like the memory of the ideal you know? Yeah, yeah, like you, like you're saying, like everything you need, like a good balance, and it is. It's almost like a. Cause sometimes I see that too, and it's like obviously, like you know, like I'm married and I have like you know, I, but it it is. Uh, sometimes I'm like, damn, like that's kind of like crazy. I never, which I guess is good that like, you know, it's I'll never have that or I don't have that situation. But it seems like a like I guess it would be like a cool thing to have i guess like in like <laughs> like just thinking i don't know it, it yeah. does sound, i'm not trying to make that sound weird but like, no 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 i don't think that that sounds weird at all and it's like that's the beauty of like movies though you know like yeah. you can experience like a thousand lifetimes in the span of like minutes up to like hours you know yeah like i feel like that's what i experienced in this movie like literally like what they went through and yeah, like just after watching it, like I was saying earlier too, it's just like a wave of like emotion just went over me. Like I feel like I just got thrown in like a dryer and just like like tumbled around like a dryer of emotion. <laughs> and then I just came out like all discombobulated and now like slowly uh, integrating back to uh, this life I'm in now. Oh I my god! Not that, but then that also makes it seem like the movie isn't like is like straight in, in, in an escape. It's not an escape. No, I I definitely get what you're saying, Tyler. Like I definitely resonate with that. Yeah, but I think that's why I like it so much. Like if a movie can do that to me, then I'm giving it a five out of five. I think I gave Possession a five out of five too, because Possession kind of did that to me too. And I guess to point out that ending, like, I think even if they took the lover's route, I think we have to consider the, the time period and that even if they did try their best to be together, um, the whole world would be against them, you know, and they would have to have a relationship in, in secrecy and probably go to a remote location or, or whatever. Um, it almost feels like a forbidden love in a way that like yeah against all odds like 
I mean, in an idealized world, if, you know, in modern day, obviously of work, right? But like, and during those times, um, you know, it would pr probably like be near impossible to to do that. And um, yeah, that's I think that's the like the beautiful, as like the beautiful part, like the beautifully tragic part about it is, is like that's why it hits so hard. Oh, you're saying, Pat? I said I don't think it would have been like impossible, impossible, but I think it's one that one of the smaller critiques or things the film has, like the way Kevin mentioned how they, like uh, uh, Eloise is the uh, she's upper class, she's from the higher strata of society, but then when uh, I keep forgetting her name, Miriam, mm -hmm. Marianne, Marianne, Marianne. When Marianne comes, she's like the self, she's the self-made, self-progressing, like new woman in the field of a male-dominated position. But when they come to the island together, they kind of challenge each other. We're now a, a Luis is the more like, she's like running towards the cliff edge and she's challenging Marianne. And Marianne's the more reserved one, like comfortable in the status quo or more domesticated like Eloise was or her role in society. But when they take from each other and grow together, I still thought it was like a good detail that Eloise doesn't hide away from the fact that like she's like, I can't like my life is this. Which is like kind of saying like uh, not that she's like Mary Marie Antoinette, but she's like, like I, I'm not going to go live in a she doesn't want to go live in the coven. Exactly. It's kind of like a, like they had their love together. Is as perfect as it could be, but she's aware that like her commitments to her family, her commitments to her status, all these invisible barriers and expectations, she can't overcome them. Like Marianne was able to overcome a couple to become a female painter, like a groundbreaking. Like she's like, I'm not a groundbreaking person. Is the vibe I got. Whereas like they're very aware of their nature and status and all this, like the machinations of society as well as the individual that makes the complete picture of who someone is and like that's why i think i think their awareness of that and the ending is what makes the ending sting because it's like yeah the external factors have like dictated how their love would play out as well as like the weaknesses or whatever aspects of themselves and their upbringing that have conditioned in them but like that last slow zoom is like still their love triumphing triumphing over it all you know it's like unrequited or it doesn't feel unrequited it's it, it's just like they don't reach out they don't embrace but the love is constant and that's what that slow zoom to that the beautiful vivaldi song that whole ending just makes the whole film so much the better Yeah, I guess to round out my point is that I think that even if they did end up together, you know, like you said, uh, Eloise is in a upper, higher class and she would probably have to break away from, you know, all her social circles or even, even from her own family. She may even be disavowed and... Um, you know, like, the, uh, like what Marianne mentioned to her, like she can go outside by herself, right? And that, that would...
mean that she would be free and would that make them free in, in, in that kind of society or like you know I guess the fact that they didn't did not end up together you know in their own ways that's their way of being free After Marianne um, speaks with the Countess to let uh, Eloise go out on walks alone to finish up the, the painting in secrecy, uh, Eloise comes back the following morning because, you know, leading up to this moment, she has always been uh, protected and live a very sheltered life and has always been in the presence of others. She's like... This she's like the pearl of the family now that her sister has passed on her ill fate to her um, willingly. <laughs> and that's such a sad moment when she leaves that letter behind where she's like, I'm sorry. And Eloise knows exactly what she's sorry for. Um, once she comes back from the walk, um, she laments to Marianne saying that being free is being alone. And the point that you made, Richie, about how uh, they have to, you know, carry on this sort of thing, but uh, but separate from one another now, um, because that's just the conditions that they were that that's the limitations that are placed on their realities at that time and place. Like, it's so unfortunate that they just have that ill fate to where it would just not work out between the two of them and that it didn't work out in this storyline. Um, but at the same time, uh, later on, Eloise mentions that, um, being free, although being free is being alone, she said, I, or no, she said in solitude, I felt the liberty you spoke of, but I also felt your absence. And it's so weird how that sentiment bookends the, the flame that they had. Um, because with the help of Marianne, Eloise got to experience that finally, that, uh, solitude that she'd been craving so much of, but she also felt the, the other side of it, which is the bitter and stinging loneliness at times. But then when they finally, like, uh, converge to one another and get past the walls that they put up, they're able to discuss this and, like, meet each other halfway. And then... Once they say goodbye to one another, and then they just live out the remainder of their lives like we catch them in the ending, like a few years down the road. And they don't, like Pat said, they don't wait. <laughs> like, that's just it. Like, that's why it stings so much is because they're literally right there. And all they have to do is reach out to each other in order to connect once more. But they don't. And... Uh, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts my chest. And it's like, that's them feeling the absence of one another. Oh. <laughs> I think it's, um, I don't know. Maybe it's the sting that I like the most. <laughs> I'll say, I didn't, I got like the, I got like when you're looking at like a beautiful sunset sting when I watched the film for the first time. 
and the music's going. I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, they're right there. And I was like, oh yeah, this is. It is. You're right. Damn, Pat. I think your daydreams have been Hollywoodized. <laughs> We're getting into simulation territory now. Yeah, the metaverse. <laughs> Holly, I'm sure you know about that. The metaverse? The oh, no, the, the oh. Hollywoodizing. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm Hollywood. Because <laughs> your name? Because I'm Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never heard that one before. We almost went two whole hours without making a joke about. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, with that being said, do we have any, um, closing thoughts? Uh, Holly, do you have any, any more things to say before we go? No, it was just, it was a painful movie. It was beautiful, but it was painful. I'm, you know, like I think Tyler said earlier, like I'm, I'm rooting for their relationship to work. I'm rooting for them to work as a couple. And unfortunately, in, in you know that time period, it would just be way too difficult. It just it wouldn't have worked. And it's just I don't know. I really wanted them together. <laughs> I'm really bummed they couldn't be together. But then it wouldn't have been the movie it was. It would have been so different. I don't think it would have hit as deep of a nerve for me. But I yeah. um. I have some closing thoughts, um, and it, I'll like loop it back around. Um, so when I was still going to, uh, or when I was still in like in the film program, uh, in the in the same media aesthetics class that I brought up earlier with Vertigo, um, the professor was talking about uh, the concept of time and how it can like be perceived, and. It got me thinking back to uh, Kurt Vonnegut's. Um, uh, oh God! Just uh, any of his books, really, like especially with *Cat's Cradle* and um, and *Slaughterhouse Five*. The concept of time in those is just so beautiful, especially with uh, *Slaughterhouse Five*. Um, and the way that he perce- that he uh, conveys it in the book is that. You have Billy Pilgrim, and I feel like I've talked about this book before on the podcast. Um, but Billy P- Billy Pilgrim has this narrative that is constantly like broken up into like all these different like periods of of his life, uh, whether it's real or fictional or anything, anything like that. And it's in such a fragmented way that if you put the pieces all together in a chron- chronological order, it creates like this bubble of time, like this vacuum. Uh, uh, representation of time and how we experience it and it got me thinking back to like VHS's um, where you have a singular VHS that contains moments from A to Z and you can rewind it you could fast forward it um, some parts like after using it too much it glitches out and you no longer have access to that moment in time anymore Um, And the more and more you replay this VHS, the more and more uh, disjointed and weathered it becomes. Like, that's just the nature of the way it's made. 
Um, so it like just thinking about it like that really got me stuck inside of like that kind of way of viewing time in my own. And it wasn't until like I started, I, I brought this up to like one of my friends who I dearly miss and hope. Yeah, anyways, um, who got me to like think about it in like a, in another way. Um, anyways, like they, they thought that it was horrifying to view time that way because it's like, oh, well, if you like it, it really places a lot of burden on the choices that you make during your lifetime, because, you know, what if we what if that's it? Like all the choices that we've made, that's all we have, you know, like we don't get alternatives. We don't we don't ever get to experience alternative timelines because that's just the way that we are built to experience this universe, you know, Um so, you know, you choosing to go left uh, at this very moment that caused all this huge chain reaction of things to occur, that's always going to occur no matter where you rewind to or fast forward to in the point of your bubble of time that you have. And that whatever you decide to do will always exist at the very end point of the, of the VHS. And you're just constantly moving up towards that, that period of time. And I think that as I've gotten older, I've started to uh, not really not really put too much of a burden on on the choices that we make or the choices that I make as I as I live out the remainder of my life um, and to simply try to do the best that I can when I can at every single given moment in the hopes that I am acting in my own best version of myself at that time and to accept the state of being no matter where you are in time. Anyways, um, with that said, it gets me thinking about, it gets me thinking back to that myth once again between Orpheus and Eurydice. And it's a very tragic story that they have because the way it ends, I believe, um, long after Eurydice uh, gets gets dragged back into the underworld and dies a second time. Orpheus tries to go back once again and is stopped by Charon, or Charon, the um, the the person who who guides people down the river Styx to go into the underworld. And Orpheus lives out the remainder of his life in this very tragic way of of just lamenting his loss of Eurydice and he turns down all of these advances from people and it's and even when like his um advances are are kind of like shunned or when um people recoil to his to uh his reactions towards you know wanting him they become angry and upset and they try to like assail him but it doesn't work because like he literally blocks all this like violence by but through the use of song through the use of lyricism through through his gift even though he's literally suffering and uh the story goes that um he was torn apart limb from limb by a group of women who worship the the lord of uh of drunkenness bacchus and i think they're called the maenads and 
yeah, they they wanted to to be married to to Orpheus, but he chose not to because of his undying loyalty to Eurydice. And and so they tore him apart limb from limb and scattered him all across the world. But anyways, the point that I'm trying to make is that uh, for some people, they believe that the that the true ending to the myth between Orpheus and Eurydice is that somehow uh, they meet together in the plane known as Elysium in the underworld, which is considered to be the best place to end up in in that uh, world of mythology because it's it's the plane where those deserving of happiness go after death and I personally like to believe that that is where they ended up because they were deserving of that happiness and sure like in their in their living world they it was very it was it was doomed in a way, in a very tragic sense, but they somehow were given their dues in the end. And that's how I like to believe that uh, Marianne and Eloise lived out the remainder of their lives, that although they got to experience such uh, wonderful freneticism between the two so quickly in the span of like two weeks, and that as they progress in time, they can never go back to that moment but they can always reflect on it. And it's like, that's the beauty of it. It's like being able to have that connection with the person in the hopes that whatever comes next, you will eventually make your way back to them because it's like, that's your eternal tie. And yeah, those are my closing thoughts. I like it. The island was Elysium. In a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that too. Um, I think regardless of how it would have ended, um, or I think just, yeah, with the way it ended, it ended the right way. And... I, I think even you know, even though you know maybe they don't have a life together like physically together in the whatever in the vibes of the universe that love will always live on with like you know the subtle painting of Eloise and her daughter with her thumb on page 28 or um you know like her, even even the love that went into the second painting that Marianne and Eloise then basically created together to send a, her husband or whatever. Um, but yeah, my closing thoughts are uh, this was just a great movie. Thank you, Holly, for suggesting it. And I think that, uh, yeah, anybody, everyone, everyone should watch this movie. It's a great slow burn, too. It's a great romance movie. This is also, we haven't really talked about how it's a romance movie. We don't need to, but also, there's a great romance. I, I agree with you there, uh, Tyler. I like that this was, um, 
yeah, I like this. That it was a, a very natural and romantic love story, and um, yeah, I like that we get to watch these kind of intimate films without feeling embarrassed about it. I, I enjoy the the vulnerability that we all get to share together, and the heartbreak that we all we all get to feel, and we get to purge these emotions and. Yeah, this has been a good experience and good conversation to have with you guys about about it all. So, those are my closing thoughts. So, with that being said, uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Richie. Uh, it's been a good episode. Thank you all for listening. And thanks, Holly, for coming on. Yes, yeah, thank, thank you, you for having me. Mm-hmm. I had fun. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the pick. Yeah, we got to bring you back. Oh, absolutely. But I'm not going to pick a good good film next time. I'm going to pick something stupid next time. Yeah. Something fun. Pick, pick a film that Pat didn't make you pick. <laughs> yeah, he, he held a gun up to my head and said, if you don't pick this movie, you're not coming on the show. No, I held a gun up and said, if I, I know you're going to pick this movie. Not the first time. <laughs> Not the first episode, please. <laughs> Halloween's past. It's too late. I know it is too late. <laughs> yeah, it feels nice. Like it's been a long time coming to have you on, Holly. And I'm yeah. so glad that you're finally on. Yeah, me too. During my birthday week too. Perfect. Oh really? It's like a birthday gift. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's on. Uh, it's this coming Sunday. Happy oh, well, happy early happy, birthday. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Should we all sing happy birthday to Holly? Yes. No. 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 Let's do it. No. That's yeah, okay. Happy <laughs> birthday <laughs> to you. <laughs> it's hard to sing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Holly. Happy birthday to you.